All right, we're going to read from John chapter 15. We are continuing in John's gospel, obviously. We are looking at what we commonly refer to as the, the upper room teaching of the Lord Jesus. And that upper room teaching, it was always called the upper room ministry when I was growing up, and it just used to go over my head, and I'd be like, what on earth are they talking about? What is this upper room ministry? What does it mean? What's it about? Well, it's, you find it in John's gospel in chapter 13 through chapter 17, so there are five chapters here. This is the Lord Jesus, as Paul's kind of alluded to with these disciples in that upstairs room on the first floor, a large room, hence upper room ministry. It's the Lord Jesus teaching his disciples his last little section of teaching really before he goes out to the cross and he's crucified. That very night that he's teaching the disciples from the upper room, he's going out to be betrayed by Judas. The next day he's going to be crucified. The Lord Jesus in this upstairs room as he teaches the disciples, he's leaving them with really important truths, things they need to know before he goes away. Really important things, the last things that he is going to leave with them. And really in our section today, relationships are what are in view when the Lord Jesus is speaking. In verses 1 to 8, he's going to speak to the disciples about how they relate to him when he's no longer there. Then as we go down the passage, he's going to teach them how to relate to each other when he's no longer there. And this breaks into next week's preacher's sermon He's going to look at how do we relate to the world around us when Jesus is not there. And there are three words from the text. I don't know if we've got the verses from John 15 on, able to come on. There are three words that we can pinch from each of those um, themes. So relating to Jesus when he's not here, he says, remain in me. And then relating to each other as a church family, love one another. And then relating to the world around us, you must testify. That's a nice little way, I think, to frame this passage, how we relate uh, to each other, to the Lord Jesus, to the world around us. Now, let's read from John 15. These are the Lord's words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded. I no longer call you servants, 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Aren't they great words that the Lord Jesus spoke to the disciples? And of course, the first challenge in being the preacher today is there is so much in these verses. So forgive me, we will be skipping over a lot of the content in this chapter today because we simply haven't got the time to get through it all. So the Lord Jesus here, this first section, verses 1 through 8, he's talking to the disciples about how they are going to relate to him when he's no longer with them. In fact, it's going to be that night. That night, Judas goes out and betrays the Lord Jesus. He's taken and put in prison, like Isaiah spoke about all those years before, taken from prison and judgment. And the very next day, he's going to be tried at that mock trial, and Jesus will be crucified. He will be violently ripped from the hands and the lives of these men who have walked with Jesus these few years. Everything for them is going to change. And how will they relate to him when he's no longer there? Well, he starts by saying, I am the true vine. That's strange, isn't it? I am the true vine. Now, a vine is pretty much like a, a grape tree, right? We're thinking here of a grape tree. And the vine is the main trunk or the, the thick stem that runs from the, the main part. And, and from the vine, the branches grow. And at the end of the branches, you get grapes or fruit. That's what a vine is. And Jesus is saying here, I am the vine, the true vine. Now, this may seem a bit obscure to you and I, why the Lord Jesus would talk about being a vine, probably to these disciples and certainly to the Israelites, this would have been nothing new, right? To speak about a vine, it's all through the Old Testament. And Psalm 80, I'm not sure, follow if the technology doesn't work, no problem, if it does, great. Hopefully the verses will be on the screen. Uh, Psalm 80, we read here about Israel, the nation of Israel, being the vine. Listen to what it says in verse 8. Transported a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. Think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. God clearing the way, delivering their enemies. He transplanted the vine into a land he'd promised them. That's speaking of Israel, being a vine, being fruitful for God, being a witness to the world around them. But the vine that was Israel, ultimately they weren't that fruitful for God. They didn't really live up to that standard that he, he had. Look at the end of verse 17. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand and the son of man that you've raised up yourself. Even in this psalm, speaking of Israel being the vine, there's an allusion to someone else coming, the man of God's right hand that he would raise up. And that's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's like, remember Coca-Cola used to say, the real thing. Well, we cycled, me and uh, Peter and, and Keith yesterday, and we cycled through Leamington, right near where my granddad used to live. And my granddad, he, he found out that I liked Coca-Cola. And so when I was just a little boy, mid-90s we are here, he said, hey, I've got you some of that Coca-Cola you like. It's in the fridge. And I was like, amazing, because this was a treat. In the Smith household, fizzy drinks were for birthday parties and Pizza Hut only. But on this day, and so my granddad, who was blind, by the way, he said, you'll have to get it yourself. It's in the fridge. Your grandma's put it. So in I go. And as I opened the cupboard, the fridge door, 
Imagine my horror at seeing two liters of Panda Cola, <laughs> not Coca-Cola. Granddad, you have got it completely wrong. See, he hadn't delivered for me the real thing, Coca-Cola. It was a cheap imitation. Panda Cola, Roller Cola, Asda Cola. It's all rubbish. Only Coca-Cola. And that's what Jesus says here. I'm the true vine. I'm the real deal. I'm the genuine article. The types and the pictures and the shadows, I'm the one they're talking about. I am the true vine. And so that's why the Lord Jesus speaks of himself in such way. The true vine. Now a vine, I'm going fast here, we've got loads to go through. The vine is the trunk that feeds and nourishes and supplies the power to the branches. If the branches aren't connected to the vine, they can't grow grapes, there'll be no fruit. It's important that branches are connected to the vine. Now, let's look at the three main characters that are in our text here. We have the Lord Jesus saying, I am the vine. Then he says, my father is the gardener. So we have Jesus, the vine. God, the father is the gardener. Jump down in your Bible to verse 5. Hopefully your paper Bibles, Bob. Verse 5, you will see, you are the branches. Jesus, the vine. God, the gardener. Us, the branches, right? Three characters in our play here. And it's important to note how these characters play out, what they do. Their roles together. So if the Lord Jesus is the vine, we want to notice about him, he is the source of life and nourishment to the branches. That is his key role here. Life comes from the vine. Secondly, God is the gardener. He is walking around this vineyard as the gardener. He is managing the branches. He's managing the branches. He does two things. Notice them from the text. He cuts away the branches that are not bearing fruit. He cuts them away. The second thing he does is he prunes the fruitful branches. Now, they are very, very different, and it's important that we get the context right here. He cuts away dead branches. He cultivates living branches. Two things that God does as the gardener. And thirdly, verse 4 and 5, we are the branches. And so what we do in this play, well, our job is to be connected to the vine, to be pruned by the gardener, and to be fruitful. If you're a Christian today, that's your job as a branch connected to the vine, being fruitful, being pruned by the gardener. And we'll notice these dynamics at work as we kind of go through the verses in a little more detail. Now, look at verse 2 if you've got your Bible open. Verse 2 is the first thing that takes place in this garden, the first thing that Jesus addresses about these characters as he gives us this illustration. It's a hard verse, this. It's a hard verse to understand and it's a hard verse to preach on, and it's a hard verse to hear, okay? It's not a pleasant verse. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Lots of Christians struggle with this verse, and they go, is it possible for me to be cut off from the vine? That's Jesus. Can I sin my way out of being a Christian? Can I fall from grace? If I've been born again, can I be unborn again? Is it possible for you and I today to fall out of the hands of God, to be lost? That's what it means, right? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. The Christian cannot be lost. 
I want to encourage our hearts today. I believe from the Bible 100%. If you're born again by the Spirit of God, you are eternally secure in the hands of Jesus. And I've picked two verses that maybe will be on the screen to give us uh, the context of this. So John 6, 37, the Lord Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's strong, isn't it, from the Lord Jesus? And then as we go through the verses, verse 39, I shall lose none of those he has given me, but I will raise them at the last day. This is strong language from the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 40. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up in the last day. Our next verse is again from John, John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, and no one will ever snatch them from my hand, says Jesus. He is going at pains at lengths to demonstrate, if you're in me, if you're connected to the vine, if you're born again, you will never, never be lost. So Christian today, take heart in that and rejoice. If you're in Christ, you're there forever. A relationship has been made between you and him that's never, ever ending. So what does the Lord mean in these verses when he speaks about these branches that bear no fruit that are being cut off? Speaking really of people here who have some form of link to Jesus, some maybe outward showing, some short-term kind of belief, kind of faith, kind of discipleship, but actually they've never been born again by the Spirit of God. There is in the New Testament a kind of believing that's not belief. Uh, And there is a kind of discipleship that's not true discipleship. And there is a kind of faith that isn't saving faith. John chapter 6. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, it says they were disciples. They, They had some sort of knowledge of Jesus. They were linked to him, but they weren't rooted in the vine. They weren't genuine Christians. They turned back and they didn't follow him. And in the strictest context of our verses here, go back maybe one, two, three minutes in this conversation into the previous chapter, Judas at the table with the disciples. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And and get this, the disciples were clueless that it was Judas. They had not the first inkling, even that they said, is it me? Rather than doubt Judas, they doubted themselves. Could it be me, Lord? And I love this. Peter, he looks across the table at John, who's next to the Lord Jesus, and he, the Bible says he motions to him. And I can imagine Peter going, you ask, you ask him, who is it? See, Judas, he was a disciple, wasn't he? But he wasn't a true disciple. And that's the thought here. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This verse does not tell us that Christians can sometimes be lost. We can't sin our way out of God's grace. It teaches us that those who are not genuine believers, they're cut away. Now, back to the the text here, verse 2, and the second half of the text, that's the first thing that we notice about God as the gardener. He cuts away the dead and the fruitless branches. The second thing he does is he prunes or he cleans or he cuts back the fruitful branches. In other words, he cultivates life from living branches. 
Daniel was at my house dropping Rosie off last week. He has seen, so I cannot lie, that I am no gardener. I have weedy soil and mossy grass, and no plants and no trees. I know nothing about gardening. Emily, however, we have an expert in the room, Green Fingers Emily, she could probably explain pruning to you really well. Pruning, I think, is cutting back the fruitful branches so that more fruit comes. And the idea is of cleaning it, of pruning it, of cutting it back, that it becomes more fruitful. The living branches, the fruitful branches, God prunes them. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 is probably the go-to passage in the Bible that kind of builds out from this point of pruning. And it should hopefully pop up on the screen in a minute. This is the go-to passage. And if it doesn't work, don't worry, I've got the verses here. I will read them. But the thought is here of being pruned, cut back, to encourage growth. Right? That's the idea. Of God edging us out of our comfort zone, sometimes forcing us out of our comfort zone, that he might draw us back to the vine, Jesus. Of the refiner, burning off all the dross in our lives, all of the alloy, and leaving the gold. Now, when I was a younger man, the bigger your alloy wheels, the better, right? If you had a Ford Focus ST with 20-inch alloy wheels, oh my goodness, you'd made it in life. Alloy is dross. It's rubbish. It's worthless. Alloy is not a good thing. God wants to burn from our lives the alloy and refine us and leave the pure gold, the valuable stuff. Now, this is what it says in the book of Hebrews, and, and the book of Hebrews here, it's borrowing from Proverbs 3. Firstly, it says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Now, remember the context here. We're thinking of that pruning from God. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. In other words, this is difficult. Don't underestimate it. Don't make light of it. It's real, and it happens to all genuine Christians. Do not make light of this pruning, the discipline of God. But also, don't lose heart when he does rebuke you, because he disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as a disciple. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought good, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. There'll be people in the room today, and you will be feeling the sharp cutting back of God's hand in your life. In a congregation this size, it's bound to be the case. There will be Christians here today, and maybe you're one of them, and the pain of the pruning is real, and it hurts. And maybe God is pushing you so far out of where he's comfortable, and you don't understand why or for what purpose or for what reason. Can I encourage you with six things just that I want to lift from Hebrews here today? 
It should come up on the screen. The first one. Take heart in this. He disciplines those that he loves. The second one is this, verse 6 and verse 7. It shows that you are accepted as a real, genuine believer. You're a child of the living God. Third one, verse 10. He does it ultimately for our good. When God prunes us, when he disciplines us, it's for good that might come. Again, verse 10, it's that he might, that we may share in his holiness. God takes us through these times so that there might be holiness in us. Verse 11, that he might produce a harvest of righteousness. Then verse 11 again, that we might have peace. We can take courage in these difficult times that we don't make light of. We acknowledge they're real and they hurt, but take heart from these things here. And verse 12 says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. As God is working in our lives as Christians, as he prunes us, we have a lot to be thankful for that he's doing that. Not easy, not pleasant, always uncomfortable, but he does it because he loves us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. So that's the work of God as the gardener. He's cutting off the dead wood and he's pruning the living branches. This type of cutting back, Christian, isn't to destroy you. It's not to destroy you, it's to make you stronger, to make you better, to align you more with Jesus, to drive you back to the vine. I was talking to a Christian friend recently, and they were going, we didn't use the language of this, but we talked about the concept. They were going through the pruning, the cutting back of God in their life, and, and, and they were in pain. And I could see the pain they were in, and they cried and I cried. It was painful to see and to watch. And they said, but, but I'm trying to see that in this darkness, God is making his strength perfect in my own weakness. And I was like, yeah, you've got it. You've nailed it. That spiritual maturity to see the hand of God in your life pruning you back and say, but it's for my good. I can see it's from God. I can feel his nearness and his presence. And to realize that God does this, that we might be even more fruitful. So God is the gardener, cutting away dead wood, cultivating life in the fruitful branches. Now look down to verse 4. The Lord Jesus says here, as you can see, it's 20 past. I've done 20 minutes nearly. We're on verse 4. We're not going to get through every, every verse. Verse 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. The Lord says this to the disciples knowing. I don't know how long. Maybe one hour. One hour from here, he's out in Gethsemane and he's praying. Maybe an hour, I'm, I'm guessing, the text doesn't tell us. He says to the disciples, remain in me as I in you. He knows what's about to happen. They're about to be pruned to go through this refining, this trying, this testing, this discipline, this hardship. He's leaving them. How will they ever relate to him when he's not there any longer? He says, remain in me as I also Remain in you. I think, well, how do we do that? Christians today in 2023, how do we remain in Jesus? How does he remain in us? What does it look like practically? John Piper gives a good definition, I think. He says, remaining in Jesus is receiving, trusting, and enjoying all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. 
receiving, trusting, and enjoying all that God is for us in Jesus. It is your personal relationship with him, and it's mine. Now, Bolu and Ethan are here. Bolu and Ethan and I do a, a study sometimes with Andy, and we always open with this question. How are things with you and Jesus? Sometimes I'm like, just ask Bolu first. <laughs> just ask Ethan and then we'll come to me. It's a searching question. You and Jesus, personally. Not how's your Bible study going. Not how's your reading plan going. Not how's your prayer life. You and Jesus, the vine and the branch. How's the connection? It's searching, isn't it? I found this most challenging to read through the week. It's necessary. It's vital that we are connected to the vine. That's why he says, no branch bears fruit by itself. It must remain in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we are fruitful Christians, it is to God's glory. Now, what is this fruitfulness? God doesn't want grapes from you and I, does he? Not physical grapes anyway. Long gone are the drink offerings and the meat offerings. We are not offering God grapes. Galatians 5 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nearly remembered them all, but I still had to look at my notes. Nearly got there. Sometimes when I brush my teeth in the morning, or I'm shaving my head or my face or whatever I'm doing, the man looking back at me doesn't look like the man that I think should be looking back at me. Because he's wrinkly and he's bald and he's old. And I'm like, however did that man start looking back at me when the man that used to look back at me looked very different? Well, when you brush your teeth in the mirror tonight, ask, do you look like Galatians 5 Christians? Do you see the, the goodness and the love and the joy and the peace? Do you see gentleness? And are these things evident in my life? Am I producing fruit for God? And are you? It's a challenge, isn't it? Maybe as you read Galatians 5, you get a bit like me, and you go, fruit of the Spirit. You know, I want to be fruitful. I want to, to live for God. I want to be a good Christian. I want to glorify Him in my life. But I look around at all the other Christians who are sailing through life on a cloud and eating cake every day and just loving the rainbows and everything's beautiful in life. And I don't feel like that kind of Christian. It's not me. I read about the disciples and I'm never going to be like them. And I read about the apostles and they are not me. And I come to church at Regent and everybody's so lovely. But, but me, you know, there's a million, billion, trillion reasons for you and for me to put up the barriers and go, I can't be that Christian. We can all do it. We can all make the excuses to try and opt out. It's for top-tier Christians. It's not for me. It's for worship leaders and Sunday school teachers and full-time pastors and for elders, but it's not for me. 
It'll never be my experience. And maybe you're here today and you are racked with guilt as a Christian. And maybe you look back over your life and you have shame in your life that just goes with you everywhere that you go that you can't shake off. The shame of what you've done in the past and you feel inadequate and you can't accept that the God who holds up the stars could ever use you for anything useful. I'm just a sinner. My faith is weak. I'm plagued with doubts. Sometimes I read the Bible and I don't even understand it. Sometimes I don't even read the Bible. I'm constantly battling against sin in my life. And I've got nothing to bring to God. I'm vile and I'm useless and I'm sinful and I'm unusable and I'm unlovable. Why could God, how could God ever use me to bring fruit in my life? I'm sure if you're not there today, you've been there before. This is why Jesus says, remain in me as I also in you. It's like this. It's two ways. Jesus is saying to us this morning, I've got you. You remain in me, but listen, I also remain in you. The branch that's connected to the vine and he's feeding us, he's giving us life from that vine that's flowing into us. So we think maybe we can't be fruitful Christians. Well, well, know this, number one, we don't have to go it alone. In fact, that's never the idea in the New Testament. We don't have to go it alone. We shouldn't try and go it alone. Jesus says to us today, remain in me and I also in you. He says to us today, Christian, you're struggling. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving, I'm not leaving you, I'll never forsake you. I'm a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'll never turn my back on you. You'll never be too bad to fall from my hands. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. The power, the life that we need is flowing to us from Jesus, the vine. So Christians, be encouraged today. He is in us. Keep going, be encouraged. Stick to Jesus, the vine. He knows that we can't go it alone. He knows we absolutely need him for life itself, that we are reliant upon him wholly, that we are dependent upon him completely. He says no branch can bear fruit by itself. If you're a branch on your own today, you shouldn't be. You should be connected to the vine. And all those excuses that we might make, all those debts hanging over our head, all of our shame and our guilt and of our sin, all those reasons why we're not good enough. Can I take you to Colossians 2? When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charges of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And he's disarmed the powers and authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Everything that put us in debt with God 
and everything that stands against us and everything that condemns us and every reason why we can never be anything for God, he nailed them to his cross. If you're a Christian today, shame doesn't belong to you and guilt isn't your portion. We sing it, don't we? I'm a child of God. He has brought us into his family. He, at the cross, removed all of these things from us. Praise God. We're alive in Jesus. We want to be fruitful. He says, remain in me and I in you. The cross is what does this for us. Jesus lives. He stands in triumph and in victory and he invites us in. Come and enjoy my victory, says Jesus. Stand with me in the power of endless life. Sin defeated in the Christian. Share in his triumph. We think we can't go it alone. We can't. We think we can't be fruitful. We can. We're accepted in Jesus. We're made alive in Jesus. We are fully forgiven and fully loved by the God of heaven. He is our life and our hope and our power. And the life of Jesus, the vine, flows into us. And therefore, we can be fruitful branches. So point number one on that. Yeah, we're not getting far, are we? Point number one. Jesus stays with us underneath are the everlasting arms. Second point is this. If you're finding it hard to bear fruit, if you think you can't be a fruitful Christian, I'm going to caveat what I say here, so don't be jumping on me straight away like a pack of wolves. Bearing fruit is not my and your responsibility. The command for us here is remain in me as I also remain in you. Bearing fruit is a work of God in our lives. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to produce fruit. Now, here's the caveat, right? We're not, we're not off the hoop completely. We are capable of grieving the Spirit. That's Ephesians 4. And we are capable, too, of, of quenching the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. We can walk our own path in life and discard God sometimes and wander away and live in sin and put our selfish ambition ahead of him. We can become focused on worldly things, not spiritual things. So what's the answer to be fruitful? Well, Galatians 5, we can walk in the Spirit. And Romans 8, we can remain in the Spirit. What does it look like for us to do these things? It's back to that relationship with Jesus. Reading our Bibles, meeting together as a church, so important. The Bible says don't ever forsake meeting together. We need each other. Read the Bible, have fellowship with Christians, pray, be with Jesus. As Bob said, meditate on the word of God. Let it seep right into our fiber that we might live in the good of it. And when we live like that, intertwined with Jesus as the true vine. And he produces fruit in us. God says to us, the Lord Jesus says to us, remain in me and I also in you. So that first section of our passage there, don't worry, we're not going to do the whole second section. That first section is how to relate to the Lord Jesus. The disciples here, on the very night he's going to be betrayed, that he's going, he won't be with them anymore. And this is the key, Jesus says, when I'm not here. Remain in me and I in you. This is for us today. He's not here, is he? Physically, at least. 
You know, he's here by spirit. Praise God for that. He's not here physically. Our job is abide in the vine. Now, the second part of our, our chapter here, and I'll maybe take five or six minutes, that's all, on this, this part here. The Lord Jesus is now talking to the disciples about interpersonal relationships. How do you get on with each other when I'm not here? See, if there was a dispute, Jesus was there. The master, the rabbi, he could sort out everything, right, straight away. He's not going to be there. How do they get on? How do they coexist together? What do their relationships look like? And it's a beautiful, seamless slide into verse 9 here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remember, he's been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one in Galatians 5? Love. Jesus said, like the Father has loved me, and so he, he brings in beautifully these verses here, these words he speaks. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Isn't that great? Mega practical, this section. Mega practical. If you want to bear fruit, love each other. The Lord begins in verse 9 by explaining his love for the disciples. Now this, this takes a little bit of thinking about and even when you've given it a bit of thinking about, you're probably going to go home with a sore head. How could this be true? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wow. Who's the Lord talking to here? Well, he's true disciples, some working class. Nobody's from nowhere in a Roman-occupied part of town. Just these lads who we brought in to himself, and he says, the love that I've got for you, it's the love that my father has for me. Wow. Christian today, it's the same for us, right? And, and sometimes if you're a Christian, you can feel a bit small, can't you? Like, God holds the universe. He holds the world and its orbit around the sun and on its axis as it spins, God puts it there and holds it there. Every atom held together by the word of his power, he makes the sun and he makes the moon, and he makes day and night, and all the forces around us that exist. He makes everything exist. He keeps it there, and I'm just little old me here in Newcastle. How could, how could I be of any value to God? And Jesus says, the same love that he has for me, I have for you. Christian, today, your name is spoken in the throne room of heaven. I didn't hear my name yesterday at the coronation. I didn't watch it. I was out cycling with the lads. Never mind. But I know it wasn't spoken. I know today that Matt Smith is spoken of in heaven. Isn't that incredible? Your name, your life, everything about you, your deepest circumstance, your biggest needs, your joys, your failures and your flaws, yes, all known and understood by the Almighty. That should make us feel pretty big this morning, right? Our God is a great God, and he knows us by name. And Jesus says in light of this, he says, now remain in my love. It's a thought again, remaining, staying with, abiding. And he says, if you keep my commands, verse 10, here's the answer. How do we do it? He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I love that Jesus gives us the answers here. This is how we do it. Keep my commands. That's how you'll remain in my love. You want an example, he says? 
I keep my Father's commands, and I remain in His love. It's easy, isn't it? It's simple stuff that the Lord Jesus is saying. I find it so hard to keep His commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Above all else, and above everyone else, and above anything else, love God. You'd be brave to put your hand up and say you're doing it at 100%, wouldn't you? Keep my commands, says the Lord Jesus. Remain in my love. The purpose behind this is twofold, and we're going to close with this. Look at verse 11. That my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be complete. My joy. I think it was just last week when we brought bread together, I mentioned that the Lord Jesus spoke of my peace. Here he speaks about my joy. What is his joy? His joy was to serve his father, to humbly submit to his father's will. His joy was that you and I, many sons, would might be brought to glory. His joy that we can share with him. His joy that we might have life in him. And yes, even joy at the cross. Does the Bible say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He kept his father's commands, didn't he? He had that joy deep within his soul. And that's what it means here. It's joy that's on another level. It's not like the joy of, oh, I'm having a great day. It's a bank holiday. Fantastic. It's joy that even in the storms of life and even in the pruning of life and the cutting back, it's the joy where you go, yeah, but everything else aside, he's mine and I'm his. Me and Jesus are like that forever. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't it amazing. It's incredible. And so the Lord Jesus says to these disciples, in view of these things, we find the place. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. These disciples were gonna feel the grief and the pain and the sorrow and the hardship and the anxiety and the anger of being left. It's going to be awful. The church is about to be born in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit coming down to live in the hearts of all Christians. How do we relate to each other with Jesus not here? Love each other. How? Like I've loved you. It's a standard that we won't attain to, but we should be striving towards, right? And as Christians today... Let's rejoice with each other when we have things to rejoice for. Let's grieve with each other in our times of grief. Let's be patient and kind and long-suffering with each other, not waiting for people to trip up and, ha ah, I told you so. And when we hear bad news about another Christian and we go, ha, yeah, well, it was only a matter of... Let's be grieved when we see our brothers and sisters fall. And let's, as a church, let's rally around for each other and let's keep each other afloat. Let's be there to strengthen each other to support each other, to live life together in light of the fact Jesus is not here anymore, but we are together, 
And he says to us, he calls us into love, love each other as I have loved you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words in that upper room. They're so powerful, and Lord, they're so difficult at times. Thank you we can take great courage from them, though, and that we can be strengthened by them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you abide in us. Thank you for your life flowing through us. Thank you for your life given on the cross. Thank you that we live in newness of life. Thank you that you invite us into your victory this morning, Lord Jesus. Help us as believers to be connected so closely to you. Help us to live in the power of your victory. And from our lives, we want there to be fruit, Lord, a harvest for you. And as the Lord Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified. Help us to be Christians, Lord, that give to you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. Amen.